That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Okay, well, we are back, and uh, we are uh, here for another wonderful episode of The Same Old Song. As always, I am Jacob Smith, and uh, joined with me and my uh, friend and co-host extraordinaire, uh, the Reverend Aaron Zimmerman. How's it going, Aaron? Well, it's good. I hope it'll be a wonderful episode. You know, you're. I hope you're speaking prophetically. I'm doing okay. I'm uh, enjoying uh, my best life now. That's good. That's all we ask. So anyway, we have uh, got a great uh, show for you. We are actually following along the presentation of our Lord, also known as Candlemas. This is a very exciting, exciting day in the church. This is 40 days after actually the birth of Jesus the official end of Christmas. So if you still have your Christmas tree up right now and all your neighbors are complaining it looks like a fire hazard, do not worry, you are liturgically correct. And um, but um, and Candlemas is actually an interesting day in the church um, if you celebrate it. Um, that is where we, you bless all of the candles that haven't been used that are going to be used in the new liturgical year. So it's really exciting and you uh, light those candles up and once again remember that Jesus is the light of the world. And so appropriate for Epiphany, but also appropriate to close out Christmas. So um, um, get the tree down after that. It's it's unsafe. <laughs> and and uh, also they'll all laugh at you for your disorganization. I got to say, our Baptist uh, listeners and non-liturgical people are like, candle what? Yeah. And like, blessing what candles? What kind of Romish superstitions you got going on? I don't see that in my Bible. Yeah. Well, you know, it, um, it Jake's actually, not fully biblical, everybody. Just want you to know. It's no, in Albans. We don't do Cantonam. Just teasing. <laughs> it's in the Bible, and we're going to show it to you today. So this is where <laughs> Jesus is brought to the temple, because um, 40 days um, after, uh, um, after the delivery, um, a lady went and presented herself in the temple for purification, but we don't want to jump the gun. We're going to walk through Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 first. Malachi, also known as Malachi, the Italian <laughs> prophet, and <Wow>. so <laughs> Jake's contact contractually obligated to say that every time. Every time, every time, every time. The, See, he's a dad. We're both dads. We can't help ourselves. <laughs> the bad jokes are what keep you coming back. So, all right. So, what's going on here, Aaron? Uh, Malachi, last prophet in the Old Testament. He is one of the minor prophets. He's sort of a you know these are the short books at the back of the Old Testament that. Uh, A lot of people kind of skip over, but they're full of good stuff. Uh, This is the last book before the 400 years of silence prior to the arrival of Christ. So there's not going to be any, any, anything else for four centuries until you get an angel going to a young Jewish woman in Nazareth and saying, Mm. Hey, you're going to be uh, pregnant. And that starts the new revelation. So this is the end, and and it represents kind of the, the end of the, to some extent, of the project of Israel. Um, 
if you read the whole Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, when you get to the end of the book, it sort of is like a, it, it, there's an anticlimactic feel to the whole thing mm. because there was the promise to Abraham that he would get land, that he would be numerous, uh, and that from him would become the savior of the world, and that has not happened. Yes, there is land, and yes, there are a lot of Israelites, but the monarchy was a complete disaster. Uh, they had a few good ones, but a lot of bad apples there as well. And they were exiled. The 12 tribes got split apart in civil war. Uh, they were always tempted to worship idols and make alliances with pagan kings. And it was just a disaster. And then um, at the end, even though they get back to Jerusalem, it's never really like it was before. And so Malachi ends with a word of hope and also a word of judgment, like there is a messenger who's coming, um, but the promise here is going to be one of cleansing. So verse mm. three, um, you know, we all know the song, Refiner's Fire, which I, yeah. um, you want to sing it, Jake? No, but um, I always, uh, I always want to resist, tell people to resist singing those songs, um, you know, like about fire and refining. Because it's and terrifying. It's all about judgment. Also, Burn um, me to a crisp. Um, these, Let uh, there the be song, nothing these left but a pile of kinda, ashes. Sorry, I'm done now. The the um the also the, the the truth is is that like you know that other terrible song, these are the days of Elijah, <laughs> these are the days of Moses, these are the days of your servant David. No, um, and Malachi represents the end of those days. Um, uh, and they, um, now we're in the last days, but, um, Malachi points to the coming of the Messiah and, um, that period where all of this stuff will be fulfilled. And he says, look, suddenly, um, he will come into the temple. So first you have, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, clearly John the Baptist, and the Lord who you seek will come to his temple. And indeed, Jesus comes to the temple several times and, um, he uh, he cleanses it when he comes to the temple every time, um, and he comes as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um, but this is the interesting thing. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Because when the Messiah comes, it was going to be a dreadful and terrifying day. And Malachi describes all of this stuff like the refiner's fire, the fuller's soap, all of these things used to purify and cleanse um, and destroy and get rid of all sorts of impurities. Um, and But uh, what Malachi sees and what, well now what we have heard and see in Jesus Christ is that this messenger of the covenant, of a new covenant in whom our Lord delights, takes the fuller soap in our place. He takes the refiner's fire in our place and in that standing in our place as our great high priest, he purifies not only the descendants of Levi, but the entire world. And then mm -hmm. offers uh, Judah and uh, Jerusalem pleasing to the Lord. And all now our offerings by faith in Christ are pleasing to the Lord as well. And so the big question, and if you're going to preach on this text, when you say who can stand when he appears, ask that question. And the answer is, is not in our own righteousness, but in Christ, you will appear and you will be able to stand because he's taken that judgment upon himself. That's right. Uh, and just this is another one of those passages where it looks like one thing is coming, uh, but it's actually 
another. It's true, but not in the way they thought. They thought, and John the Baptist later would think, based on passages like this, that Jesus was coming with his uh, blaster loaded to just, um, you know, zap everybody who wasn't uh, right and yep. holy. And um, Jesus does come. He is presented in the temple, and we'll see it at the end of the readings for this day. Uh, and we'll see Jesus presented as a child, as a baby. Yeah. So he comes to the temple, looks different, and his purification and his judgment, his refining will come. But like you said, he himself is the one that is subjected to it. He is. He takes that in our place. So all of it will That's come right. to pass, but it will look different. And as a result of his gift of himself for us, he does purify us and refine us and all that. But it just, again, it just, everything looks different in the way it, it actually appears. So this is mm. how we read the Old Testament Christologically. And I think if you want to uh, preach this passage again, I think one of the things you want to talk about is how uh, God's coming into the world and to our lives often looks very different than what we expect. And there's probably some places you would want him to come and refine and to clean and purify and all that. But um, just watch out because as Jake, as you said, if, if he does that, he actually, there's like all of you has to go. And mm. so uh, the good news is that there's someone who uh, is judged and refined in our place and then gives that righteousness to us as a, as a gift. So then, as you said, our offerings can be, can yeah. be pure and holy. So if you preach that, Folks, uh, let us know. We'd like to hear how that goes. Not a lot of people preach on the Malachi, uh, but if you go Old Testament, keep keep us updated. Again, you, we're on the Instagram now and the Twitter at SOSMBird. You can follow us there and let us know uh, how you're preaching and how Jake can improve his uh, his exegesis. Mm. Um, it can't. So, But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's um, perfect. Then uh, okay. we come to <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And uh, there is this tricky word in this passage, atonement again, and uh, clearly not um, uh, clearly not meaning anything else but what we talk about, atonement. And so um, Hebrews is a very pa- powerful, powerful epistle. And um, and should and can be preached on and really when you preach on this passage you can farm all sorts of wonderful doctrine out of it including the doctrine of the atonement and um, and so but basically here at this point in the the epistle of the Hebrews uh, um, the author has uh, basically made going up made the argument that Jesus one is is fully God fully totally God is lesser than the angels. And how he relates to us as a great high priest, and uh, and now this part of the epistle to the Hebrews, um, the author is telling us why, and he says, since God's children share flesh and blood, Jesus Himself likewise shared the same thing, A.K.A. He is fully, fully man. This is what we're getting at, and that so through His death He might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are held in slavery by the fear of death. So what's going on here is is that the author of the Hebrews is making the point that God um, in Jesus has left the throne of heaven and has um, uh, basically defeated the powers of death through his own death so that all of our sin, all of our corruption, which the devil has held us captive to, has intertwined with Christ himself. To back St. Paul up, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so in that intertwining, in that death, 
uh, Jesus frees all of us from the slavery of the fear of death, you know, so in this age, because the fear of death is real. Um, although we've done a great job of inoculating ourselves from it, it is real. And you go into anyone's room who's not quite sure what's to ha- what's going to happen, and uh, there is a real terror in those moments. There's real yep. depression, and there's real free- fear, and that's why it's so good in those moments. Death is a great evangelistic moment. Uh, yeah, and so one of the things that you have to... But, but by the way, be careful, preachers, about using funerals as an evangelistic moment. When you visit your parishioners, yes, talk to them about the gospel when they're dying. When you do the funeral, don't use it as a bait and switch to Jesus juke people into salvation. Uh, it's not your responsibility. Yeah. It's a disrespectful thing to the family of the deceased. End of PSA. The more you know. Uh, this... Um, this and that's not what you were saying, Jake. I just felt that was uh, important for some of our listeners out there. I don't know. Maybe it's from the spirit. Maybe it's not. If it's good, keep it. If not, let it go. Uh, the first part of Hebrews is about it's tra- basically it's all about who Jesus is because there was all this confusion. Uh, is he an angel? Is he some sort of spiritual being? Uh, how do we understand him? Because he doesn't fit in a lot of people's categories. He's not an earthly king of any significance, and he claims to be a king. Uh, there's this. He was an incredible teacher and miracle worker, but he also had this really horrific death that seems very shameful and scandalous. Mm-hmm. So how do we fit all these things together? And so one of the things that this author of the Hebrews is trying to say is, how can he be fully God and how can he be fully man? So he's talking about sharing in our flesh and blood in verse 14. Um, and the point, as you said, is to destroy the things that we are subject to in flesh, death and the devil. And uh, that one of the things uh, that he, the reason he dies this horrible, horrific thing is as a great high priest, he's also the sacrifice making atonement for the sins of the people. So it's trying to pull together all, and what what this passage is about is Christology. And what this book is about is who is Jesus. And so if you want to preach this in your congregation, one of the things that I would recommend that you do or think about doing is all the different Jesuses that are out there. There's the Jesus, my cheerleader, Jesus, my buddy, Jesus, my moral sage, Jesus, my social justice, uh, inspirational speaker. Um, and there are aspects of him that are like all that, but you totally miss the point biblically if you don't get what Hebrews is saying, that yeah. he is fully God, that he's fully man. And what he comes to do is to save us. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, Jake, we are held in slavery by the fear of death. There is this existential uh, brokenness terror, uh, um, fear, all that that people have all the time. The most of our life is trying to distract us from that. That's mm-hmm. what social media in general is for. Follow us at SOSM Bird on Instagram. <laughs> um, but uh, this this is our real crisis, and, and he's here to help those in death and in our suffering, because he talks about at the end here in verse 18, um, he himself was tested, yeah. and he can help us in, in our testing. And yeah, situation. well, he says right here that, and, and the help there is to save you from it, and so um, and to save you from the consequences and the repercussions of it. It's not just kind of like, oh, I'm struggling with my diet. Jesus, help me. You know what I mean? This isn't, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and that's because, like you said, you listed off all of these examples, and um, uh, the author says that that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Yeah. So Jesus is uh, your um, your faithful high priest, and that's there's that beautiful image, and sometimes you see it in like the um, Christus Rey crucifixes of Jesus dressed or Christ the King 
crucifixes, yep. but Jesus is wearing a chasuble and wearing and functioning as this priest who has made the sacrifice once and for all for his people. And so, oh, there it is, Aaron. That's a beautiful image. You should screenshot that and put that on Instagram. Where can they see SOS it? SOS Embered. <laughs> SOS Embered. Yeah, I'm holding right now in my hands a wood carved um, Christus Rex, as you said, Christ the King. He's on the cross, but he is alive. He's in. A, he's got a crown, and he and he is very much wearing a chasuble. Uh, you can see his nail-pierced feet and hands. I will take a picture of it uh, for the Sochmeads, and I'll put it up there. This is a replica of the one that's in the uh, the Episcopal Church or Anglican Church in Frankfurt, Germany, mm. uh, where one of our parishioners attended for many years, and this hung over his bed for many years. May May Colonel Henson rest in peace. Uh, but this is. Um, yeah, this is exactly the image that we are supposed to get. This he is our he is both priest and victim in the Eucharistic feast, as so, the old hymn goes. But the, the the powerful thing that would have hit everybody there, um, re- hearing this for the very first time, is that um, a high priest in those in like that period of Second Temple Judaism was a like political official. And yeah, uh, for sure. and for the most part, he could have given two shits about you. Oh, pardon my French. But anyway, <laughs> for the most, he could. That's our first e. Our first e. Yeah, sorry. He could have cared <laughs> less about you. Like that. That is. This is where the power comes from. And this is how oftentimes people think of God as like this crazy abstraction. Who's you know? Hey, great. You're good enough, maybe, but doesn't really care. Like you know, he is the, the god of the deists. He set everything in motion and is set off to celestial Acapulco. And the book of Hebrews right Ooh. here is like busting that idea out of the out of the water. And if you you'll probably have a ton of cradle Episcopalians that think that this is how God works. He's this abstract kind of bumper sticker of love. And what, G, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that, man, no, he is a faithful high priest who in love, um, not only to service, has come to make sacrifice of atonement for sins of the people. And like he, he relates to you. And, uh, yep. you know, and he's not just some abstraction, but now he calls you brother and sister in every respect. Mm. This is a very like this is this is where the rubber hits the Rome road, and this is where um, the book of Hebrews, especially this text, becomes immensely cuff- comforting. You do not have a God of abstraction; you have a God of a real deal comfort who knows you and loves you and will never leave you, and He's died for you, and risen for you, and made atonement for you. Amen. Amen. And you know. We talked last week and this week about the importance of atonement, and we talked last week especially about the importance and the just you can't get around it, uh, the fact that substitutionary atonement is a big part of what Jesus comes to do. And you see that here where he he's described, but you see a lot going on because you have here Jesus described in verse 14 as the one who destroys the power of death and the devil, um, and that's kind of a Christus victor understanding of atonement Mm -hmm. you have him as the high priest um which which is not the one who's the priest is not the one who is being sacrificed um and he is at a position of priestly power and then you have this picture of him also as the sacrifice himself so it's all these things on multiple levels so (laughs) those of you who are who didn't get mad at us last week for talking about substitution atonement and you're still here the five of you that are still listening to this podcast um we're not saying that there is one right theory of the atonement. There are lots of different ways the scripture talks about it, and you see all of them kind of laying together, layering here together in Hebrews. Um, we just want to make sure that 
the, the least popular of the theories of the atonement, which is the substitutionary one, stays in the mix because your Bible stops really making sense if you lose that. Yeah. I want to recommend everybody, I've been walking through these two books as amazing, is uh, Michael Horton's new two-volume set on justification. It's an um, exciting title. It's just called Justification. But it's a two-volume, and man, he walks through this brilliantly and powerfully um, throughout the whole scripture, through the patristics, and um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real scholarly work that um, uh, says that this just isn't some sort of random idea, but this is uh, uh, the beautiful thing that holds it all together. And so, and is the other book The Secret? No, it's, uh, it's two volumes, and so it's a big book. Oh, okay, but it's, it's, okay, Never It's mind. awesome, man. It is really good. So um, I encourage everybody to get that. It'll help them. Dianetics is what I've been reading. <laughs> I can just tell kidding. from your exegesis. No, but yeah. I'm just kidding. All right. So, all right. So that we've gone through Malachi. We've gotten through Hebrews. Um, yeah. And uh, I think now we are ready to talk about Luke Dos, the segundo capitulo right yeah, here. That's of, right. Uh, the gospel of Luke. And what we have, as you set up at the top, Sometimes when people read this, what came time for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And some people think that's presenting him for circumcision. That's not what happened. Nope. He was circumcised on the eighth day, just yep. like every good Hebrew mm-hmm. male was. This is, as you said, Jake, Mary's purification. If you go back to Leviticus 12, you would read how after childbirth, a woman who would have been made unclean because of her contact with all those bodily fluids... Um, would then need to be purified, ritual purification, so she could be cleansed mm-hmm. in order to participate in the religious life of the community. So this is her purification, and also they're presenting, as the Mosaic law said, they're presenting their firstborn child, male, as holy to the Lord. So there's all these things happening, and, and in doing so, they're offering this sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, some of our listeners who know Leviticus really well know what it means that they sacrificed a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. To those of you who are, maybe your Old Testament is not as well worn or read in your Bible, what this is talking about is another um, thing in the Torah where when you uh, made this sacrifice for the purification, you were required to offer a lamb. But if you were poor and you couldn't do that, the law had sort of a sliding scale. It was a progressive tax, you could say. So if you were too poor to offer the, the four-footed furry animal, uh, you could offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So yeah. and this, uh, what this means is, is that Mary and Joseph are poor. Uh, and that's just always good to remember because yeah. there are people in your congregation that may look rich but are poor or don't look rich and are who look poor and are poor. <laughs> there are people who need to know that Jesus is not He's not from the country club set. Yeah, but uh, the powerful thing too, uh, and one of the, the the preaching hinges here is is that Jesus is the Lamb of God uh, who takes right. away the sins of the world, and so He is there in the temple, and He's in the temple um, because they are fulfilling the law of Moses in every perfect way. Uh, so this is uh, by no means um, by no means this is not just a random act. This is part of the the whole purification thing. The interesting thing is that there was a third part to this ceremony. So not only the purification of the woman after um, after delivering the baby, but the purification of the or the setting aside of the firstborn 
but then that child's redemption. And it's very interesting that Luke doesn't, Luke mentions the sacrifice, what they used for the sacrifice, but he doesn't mention the need for redemption here, which is very powerful because Jesus is is perfect in every way. He's like us, um, uh, but um, he is perfect in every way. And so, and then these two kind of like old people come up and they, uh, well, you know, no offense, but these two older folks just kind of, um, you know, in my mind, when I picture this, I picture like older folks just kind of mobbing a crib, just kind of coming around, you know, or mobbing a stroller as happens in New York City from time to time. Somebody mm. wants to touch your baby and you're like, hey man, don't touch my kid. But anyway, so, but that's what goes through in my mind is like Simon and Anna, these two people hanging out, but they have not just been hanging out in the temple for anything and cooing at every baby in a stroller that's presented. They have been there and they have been wor- longing for the consolation of Israel. Um, yep. the, the arrival of the Messiah as Malachi has so said, and uh, this is the first of many of the Messiah's arrival in the temple, but um, uh, they see, and, uh, and uh, the first is Simeon, and the second is um, Anna, who sees who sees this child, and they both have a very powerful prophecy over the baby. Yeah, Simeon uh, takes uh, this child um, and uh, says this famous song or hymn. Uh, it's sung at evening prayer. It's kind of a, a, a revered and much beloved canticle in the Anglican mm-hmm. choral tradition called the Nunc Dimittis, yep. which is the Latin translation of the first line. Now uh, you're letting me go. Um, and uh, it's Simeon at the end of his life, full of joy because he's seen Christ. He was promised by the Holy Spirit that he would see his Savior before he died. And he is now a picture of someone who's prepared to die. And uh, there is a message here for your congregation, for those that are, as we mentioned, (laughs) excuse me, (coughs) as we mentioned earlier, there are people that are afraid of death and live with great anxiety. Simeon is someone who is leaving and departing this life in peace because he's seeing this person. And there's a wonderful note here. Here's someone who's, uh, you know, part of the people of Israel, and yet he knows that this Messiah is for all nations. And uh, it's it's just a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. And uh, uh, he knows also there's a word of pain here for Mary, uh, that Jesus' ministry will be powerful, but he says a sword will pierce your own yeah. soul too. So that, um, And this is true, actually, for everybody who raises a child, you will have great joy and great pain in that process. But for Mary specifically, obviously, he's talking even now, Jesus's cross, his crucifixion is in view. It's never not a part of his ministry. So Simeon has a word about that to Mary as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, um, the pain is coming for not only Mary, but for everybody. And uh, mm-hmm. and I think, first of all, I think that um, Simeon here and even um, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, um, they they represent what it is to uh, what hope is actually all about, um, and what Christian hope is all about. They embody this kind of idea of like long patience. I mean, as you said, it was it was hundreds of years after Malachi before anything happened um, once again in Israel before God spoke, and this time He came in flesh, and um, and so there is this like long hope, and so you see and you hear in this Nunc Dimittis. Uh, the song of Simeon, you know, this great joy for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. But then in his explanation, he says, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. 
And that is the truth. And not only Israel, but ultimately we see it in the whole world. You know, um, Jesus is a stumbling block uh, mm. to the whole world, and he is a blessing to the whole world. Nobody says the prophet Muhammad's name in vain. Uh, nobody says Buddha's name in vain. But uh, we do say Jesus's because he is a stumbling block and he uh, is the cause of many to come down, but he is also the cause of many a lifting up. And this is very powerful. And you see then after the, the, the engagement with Anna and the joy that comes along and another profound picture of like faithfulness and patience and in the midst of our waiting, we wait too with patience for the Lord to come again a second time. We see that they returned back to Galilee um, and uh, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. But the point being here is that, you know, they didn't, it wasn't about going to England and planting trees or going to India and spreading some sort of teaching. The point here is um, that Jesus and them went back and just did normal things. Mm -hmm. um, the Son of Man is like you in every way. You're not like him in every way. Don't confuse that. But he is like you in every way. And he went and uh, uh, was a carpenter and so mm -hmm. followed his father's uh, deal. Another reason people always ask, well, why, don't we, why didn't they write more about him as a child, you know, um, in, the, in the synoptic gospels? And that was because really in Roman biography and Greek biography, nobody really cared about childhood unless there was something amazing that happened at their birth. But other than that, they were interested in how you died. And, um, and so that's not the point. The point is, is that Jesus, you can relate to him in every way. And so, and that's a beautiful thing 40 days after the incarnation, where you see him gurgling as a little baby, an infant, baby Yoda. Ah, but um, you now see him as regular Jesus. And uh, regular Jesus is your savior. <laughs> yeah. Don't. That's right. And. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm the glad. extraordinary becomes ordinary. That's the point. Yeah, I'm glad we don't have to do Bible studies about Jesus's middle school experiences or <laughs> Jesus going to prom or Jesus's first day on the job. Uh, it just, I don't know. It would have kind of dulled the mystique a little bit. Jesus in the locker room. So, that's but, right. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's probably a note that we should end on. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I think Jesus is ordinary, and that's and that's fine because God is always taking His extraordinariness and making it ordinary. Um, he does yeah. that with water. He does that with bread and wine. Because so much of our lives are just ordinary, and that's okay. Yep. Uh, and that's where He's come to work, and that's where He's come to save you in the humdrum ordinariness of it all. And it is amazing to think about God being present in the world in the person of Jesus for decades doing nothing i mean except living life yeah uh from this point on until john the baptist's ministry jesus's 30th year there's really nothing and yet god is incarnate in the world and nobody has any idea except his mom and a few people mm -hmm. uh and it's just phenomenal to think about so in terms of where god acts in your life uh he you don't think he is because you don't see fireworks and rose petals falling from the sky um uh, and your life's not like a romantic comedy. Yet, God is present and active and working in the world. Jake's like, life is like a romantic comedy, but yeah. mine's not. And praise That's God great. that Jesus can work even there. Well, that is a great place to end. And so, um, until next week, everybody, God bless. Hasta luego.
Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.